Mark chapter 13, 32 through 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Tucson. Um, Redemption Church is one church in multiple congregations throughout, um, throughout Arizona. Actually, I just met some folks this morning from um, Redemption Gilbert, Redemption Tempe. Again, the people um, that are leading our worship this morning are from Redemption West Mesa. And I'll just take a second to say um, while they're here, and, um, that this is actually the first Sunday in like two years that our normal worship leader, Stephen, has been able to just come and worship and just hang out here. Um, so he's here. So um, yeah, so just uh, thankful. I don't even know if he's in here. But yeah, let's actually just give him a, a round of applause. Just thank him for his sacrifice. And, and obviously that um, also goes for all of you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning um, this morning with us. And um, before we get into it too much, a couple things. Um, one is I have a stutter. So I just want to make sure that you all know that beforehand so you're not like, What's going on? You know, it's the microphone coming in and out. It's not hip-hop, anything like that. It just kind of comes and goes. So just a heads up on that. Um, also, we have a number of students that are normally here um, that are uh, up in the hills, if you will. They went to a, a college retreat from one of the um, college groups. And I just want to um, ask you on your own just to be kind of thinking of them and praying for them as God did some significant things. Um, through them a couple weeks ago and another group that is often here another college group was all out of town um, I, although this week if you've looked ahead at what we're going to be talking about there's actually one part that actually says run to the hills so maybe they ran to the hills because they knew what a crazy sermon we're about to get into this morning um, so I'm going to just ask you to go ahead and turn there with me because um, we have a lot to cover in fact I'm glad I said that I'm setting my clock I don't always do this Set my clock, because I'm just going to go for it, and once this thing, like, explodes, I'll stop. So, because um, there's a ton to get into. So go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and hold your hand up high, and somebody will get you one. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, please keep this one, okay? We want to give it. So yeah, hold it up and keep it up. And también si necesitas en español, tenemos solamente diga español. Um, and I'm not just showing off for the folks from West Mesa. We say that every week. I memorize that one phrase. And so we say, because we want everyone to be able to read and understand um, God's word in their heart language, okay? So um, as they're you know, handing those out, as you guys are turning with me to Mark 13, this is a, we're going to 
cover the whole chapter. And so if you've been here with us, we've been walking through the gospel according to Mark. And, um, and every time we hit on a new chapter, you could, you know, turn to your neighbor, say, welcome to chapter 13, if you want, because we have been plugging along for like a year, getting after it. And um, just a, a heads up on that note, we're coming toward the end of Mark. We're going to end um, the week before Thanksgiving. The plan is we will end Mark then, and then we'll enter into what's called the Advent season during the Christmas season. And then in the new year, in 2016, we'll get into a couple more series that we have um, planned there. So that's just a quick heads up for all you engineer folks that need to know like the next 10-year plan. There it is for you. So you got it. Um, so this chapter, some of you might not have looked ahead. Some of you, like this is your Super Bowl. Like you have been waiting for us to get into Mark 13. Like you're the type of person that anything that's end times and this is, this is you. This is what you care about. You've got charts and graphs and highlighters. You've got calculators with it all figured out. It's like like a hoarder, you know, like that show hoarders, like don't look behind the door, you'll be freaked out. Some of you, this is like your your house is like, don't come into my office because you've got all kinds of diagrams and images and the blood moon. Man, you were doing backflips because of the blood moon and you had it all figured out. Um, some of you are there, okay? And I, I want to say, I think um, we still love you. I don't think that, I know that. We love you. But also, um, I think our time in Mark 13 will be shaping because there's a lot to learn. And I think a humility that, that, that God calls us to in light of the last days, if you will, will, or end times. Now, I think there's a whole other group of us in here that, like, we don't plan ahead at all. We don't care about what's to come in the future. We don't even think ahead. We eat the potato chips we were eating when we fell asleep on the couch wake up, eat those again for breakfast, and that's just kind of how you approach everyday life, and you just kind of go about it, and so maybe for us, this needs to be somewhat of a shaking, like a, you know, wake up, like this, this stuff matters, and God is doing something, and Jesus has proclaimed who he is and what he's doing, so, so, so don't just sit back and take it easy, um, he's on a mission, and he's called you to put your faith in him and to be a part of his mission. And he's taking us somewhere. So you don't just sit back and say, who cares? Okay. Um, so I think we all need to be, be, be humbled and maybe, maybe shaken a bit from our time in Mark 13 this morning. And I want to remind you, um, too, before we really get into it, that um, this doesn't just stand on its own. Okay. Like Mark 13 isn't just this isolated conversation about end times and stuff like that, that you just then forget about everything else. Okay, let me remind you that Mark, we've been walking through it, is it was written as a letter to be read all at once, or more perhaps even like a sermon to be preached all at once. So thank God that, right, I don't just preach through the whole book every week. But um, they, 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 it was meant to be read and explained out loud. So you would be going along week to week um, as we've been doing, and you have to be reminded, oh yeah, this, there's a context surrounding this. So let me, let me remind us that the main point of Mark began with this. The good news of Jesus, God the Son. And then we've been presented, Jesus, God the Son, is bringing His kingdom. And then we've been challenged... How do you respond to his good news? He's calling you to follow him and to trust him. And he's declaring that he is 
undoing the kingdom of this world, the brokenness, sin that we live in, and He's bringing His perfect kingdom, and He's challenging us to follow Him and to respond to Him. And so this stuff, as He starts to talk about the end times, fits in light of that context, okay? It fits in light of the good news of Jesus, and it always has to come back to that. And um, as we go on, I just want to give us some handles to, to explain how we're going to walk through this. Because in our English language, there's some terms that seem similar to us. Some terms, as you'll, you'll see here, that we're going to walk through. One is um, these things, and then another phrase is those days, or the last days. And that's meant to differentiate between kind of the short-term future, like what's going to be coming up, and Jesus is preparing his followers right there who are with him to be on guard for some things, these things that are about to happen. And then he'll also use some phrases of those days or the last days. Okay, so what we need to do is we need to, like if you ever picture an old, like, you know, Moby Dick or something, like where they're on a boat and they look through a telescope that you can kind of go out or bring back. So we need to have that kind of lens and we need to bring it back and understand where he's talking about the more short-term future and then where he goes out and looks for the long-term future. Um, I just notice it echoes when I do that. So that's cool. It gets even louder. Now I know. If I need to really make the point, I'll just do this. All right? So, so okay, these things and those days or the last days, okay, that's how we're walking through this. And the main point as we wade through all this, the main point is this. Stay awake. Be alert. The good news of Jesus defines your life yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's what we need to remember as we walk through these things. And that's what Jesus is hammering home to his followers. Okay, so I'm going to pray and ask God to, to, to take us through our time in his word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, as my wife said when she read the scripture at the end, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And Lord, we are reminded that this is your word. Um, this isn't something that we can take out of context. You didn't give us this to take and do all kinds of intellectual gymnastics with and to, and to maybe, um, maybe set ourselves apart or above others or anything like that. Lord, so I, I pray that you will produce in us individually and corporately a humble posture and yet an expectancy, Lord, where we trust that you will lead us and direct us and that you have given your perfect word that endures forever to shape our lives today. So Lord, we need you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get after it. Mark 13 in verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful things. So what's happening here, if you can just remember where we've been here, is Jesus came into Jerusalem, right? The triumphal entry. That happened just a couple days before. He came into Jerusalem. The kingdom coming. Everyone's excited. But then the excitement just kind of died down. And Jesus just kind of, um, you know, went and then there was a small group and he went into the temple, which is where we are right now, which is where he's going out of. He came into the temple and he judged the temple, right? He turned over tables and he judged it. And then as he left to go sleep, he walked by a fig tree, which we'll see comes up again here, this idea. And he cursed the fig tree and the fig tree was dead to its roots. And Jesus pointed out to his followers that was a picture of the temple, 
of what he was doing to the temple. He was declaring judgment on the temple because the temple was supposed to be a picture of heaven on earth. It was supposed to be a place where the nations, the entire world, could hear of what it meant to come and have a relationship with God, where God would be our God and we would be his people. And the temple was set up from its architecture to its interior design to the curtains to um, everything there. It was meant to be a picture of heaven on earth. And yet it wasn't fulfilling that function. It was a place where judgment and racism and um, socioeconomic division was exploited and all kinds of stuff was going on. And Jesus said, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. He cursed the temple. He left. Okay? Then he comes back to the temple and that's where he's been. And we're on Tuesday right now, by the way. Okay? So he came in and then he... And now we're in Tuesday of what is called Holy Week. So think ahead... Friday, Good Friday, is when Jesus will be crucified. Okay, so we've been in Tuesday for a while here. And Jesus was having interaction. He was judging the religious place, the temple, and the religious systems. He was, and he was, he was having arguments with the Sanhedrin, the religious authorities, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. And then now he's leaving this temple. He's like, man, this place is dead. We're out, right? And he left, and he's going out, and they're exiting the temple. And one of his followers, still confused as everyone has been, is like, wait, this temple, like, it's huge, it's beautiful. Like, Jesus, you've said you're the king, right? Well, it's a great place for you to be your kingdom. Why not just set up shop here? And so, so they're, they're kind of hoping, they're like, Jesus, we're, we're leaving this temple, but isn't it great? Aren't these stones amazing? That's what's going on here. And so to help us understand what's going on in First, in the first century here, the early church, um, those of you who have lived in Tucson for a while, we understand construction, right? We know when the, the, the dominant feeling is the city is being developed, and it feels like construction has been going on forever. Well, the temple is like a construction project that's been going on for 500 years. It was built and then they've added on to it. They've done a bit more. They've done a bit more. And so there's hope and anticipation has been building. Finally, this thing will be done. The king will come. The kingdom will be established. We'll get rid of all those other nations, of all other people. It'll be great. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. That's not what it's supposed to be like. Again, he's cursing the temple. But that anticipation has been growing. All right? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you lived in Tucson before, say, 2012. Just have an idea. Okay, so maybe half of us. Um, the other half, you don't know the way it used to be. Right? When we moved back here, my, my wife and I moved back to Tucson in 2012, and we counted. There were five cranes around downtown Tucson. All kinds of stuff was happening. High-rise buildings that are now buildings that all of you who weren't here just take for granted. There were cranes. Traffic was backed up every day. You think it's bad now. It's crazy, right? Streetcars were coming in. All kinds of development. And there was an excitement. There was anticipation. But imagine if your entire hope for the entire world was built upon that kind of construction. And then Jesus, what does he say? Right? Look at this. Isn't it great? Won't it be great when the streetcar's done, when the, all the buildings are done, when, when, when one-way roads are made two-way? It'll be amazing. And it is. We love it. But that's the idea. Is like, Jesus, whatever else you're doing, just finish this project and we'll be good. 
And Jesus says, in verse 2, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He's saying, guys, your hope is misplaced. And because of that, I'm going to get rid of this temple because Jesus will declare that he is the temple. He is the hope of the world. He is the place where mankind can relate with God. And so Jesus says, this temple in the coming days is going to be wiped wiped out. It's going away. And your hope that's been misplaced needs to be redirected and entrusted to me. And that's the message that Jesus is saying. And that's the important context that we're in here. And so Jesus declares that and then he continues on, right? So they left the Temple Mount and picking up in verse 3. And he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. So just to get into this scene here, right? Jesus judges the temple. Then he goes back there. He's talking to people. Then he leaves the temple. And his friends are like, are you sure we want to leave this place? Like, it's really great. And Jesus says, no, no, it's all going to come crashing down. It's not, it's not where your hope lies. And guys, we've got to understand. I mean, this is earth shattering to these people. They're like, what? And so then he goes and he sets up shop at the Mount of Olives opposite Jerusalem. It's about 500 yards away. So it's very close. And they're looking at the temple. And of course, understandably, his friends are like, Jesus, about what you said earlier, about that destruction stuff. Um, is it really going to come down? Like, can, you, can you explain, like, what are some signs? How can we know? And then Jesus began to say to them, see that nobody leads you astray. And he goes on and gives a number of warnings. And I'm going to have to pick up the pace here a bit as we go. But it, because I want us to get the main thing. I want us to get the forest and not get lost in the trees. I can't show all my work, okay? So if you're like a math teacher or you ever had math and they're like, show me your work. I can't do all that, okay, today. But I'll give you, I think, the main point. We'll get that. But so as we kind of pick up the pace and go through, Jesus says, here's a sign. A lot of people are going to come and tell you they've got it all figured out. And they're going to say, come and follow me. I've got the secret way. I've got the secret information. Don't believe them. Don't follow them. Keep your eyes on me. That's the message. And we know now, looking back historically, that that happened. Um, A non-Christian Jewish historian, Josephus, tells us that tons and tons of false messiahs or false Christs rose up and said, oh, come and follow us. We're the hope. We've got it all figured out. This big war is about to happen, and God's promised me victory. Come and, right, and we've seen that in our day. This is how cults get started. And Jesus says, don't, don't think they've got it all figured out. Look to me. I'm your hope. Keep your eyes on me. Keep on trusting me. And then He goes on, and then in verse 7, something really helpful comes up. He says, many will come in my name. This is verse 6, saying, I am he, and they will lead you astray. Verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, because things things are going to happen, the world is going to be crazy. It's going to feel like it's going to hell in a handbasket. All kinds of craziness is going to come up. When that happens, understand, this must take place, but the end is not yet. What he's saying is this stuff has to happen. And that right there is incredibly good news for his followers then, for the the audience, the people that would be reading Mark, and for you and me. Hear me, look at me. This is the message of God that he's in control. No matter what kind of circumstance we're facing, these people were about to face the end times, if you will. 
Rome was going to come in and drop the hammer. The temple was going to be destroyed. They were going to be persecuted. We all will face some kind of end times in our day, some version. All right, I'm not just saying that the end times are a metaphor for this at all. But the main point here is Jesus is saying, whatever is going on cosmically in the world around us, whatever is going on in your own life, I'm in control. There's no plan B. Even the seemingly chaotic world that we live in, it's how it's supposed to happen. If you remember, we've talked about this before. Jesus is saying, I'm the author of the story, and I'm also the hero of the story. So calm down, take a breath. I'm in control. These things must happen. And he's intentionally saying these things. And then in verse 8, something goes on that I just want to again further help us understand. In verse 8, it says, These things are but the beginning of the birth pains. And this language will be used again time and time again. And this was an illustration that we would never just come up with on ourselves, right? Like, I don't talk about birth from the stage. And this isn't the type of thing that we really talk about. But in Jewish context in their day, Women giving birth was a communal event, all right? The family was there. The extended family was around. Kids didn't learn where babies came from, from MTV. They, they saw it, all right? They were right there, and they knew this stuff. And you know that it's awkward, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But in God's design, it, it comes out good. And there's, there's life. And though, sadly, tragically, that's not always the case in our world and what we experience as God intended to be, the birthing process produces life. And this illustration and this imagery is used time and time again to say, listen, even though it seems like this is the very worst thing you could be going through, at the end of it is life, is hope, is joy, is my kingdom, and all its goodness. So Jesus is telling these people, listen, whatever you're going through, there's good news. And then he continues on, And he explains them and he says to them, listen, don't prepare ahead of time in verse 11. Again, if you're the highlight person, if you've got it all figured out, if you've got the maps up on the wall and you know how it's going to end, I think this whole chapter is saying don't do that. Don't try to prepare because in so doing, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I don't need you. Right? If you're the end times person that's got it all figured out, you've got guns stashed in the wall and you've got all kinds of food you know, stored up and you've got it all figured out, I think the dominant message in Scripture is don't do that. Continue trusting in Jesus. He's got it under control and he says in verse 11, when you're going under all kinds of persecution and they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand for what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And that's not necessarily talking about in an argument, the language, and you're going to trust the Holy Spirit to give you what to say. This is a picture of when you're on trial. Because if you're a, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be put on trial. Right? That's a promise. It's offensive to the kingdom of this world that Jesus is is judging and is undoing and is restoring his perfect kingdom. There will be times where we'll be on trial. Now, that's not an excuse to, to like force the issue and just be a jerk and think it's like us versus them. No, the language as we've looked at all throughout is that he's bringing a, a work of restoration. But 
you can still count on the fact that some are going to be offended by that. And in this case, and in many, with many people around the world, it's hard. They're persecuted. There's trial. He's saying when you're on trial, trust that the same Holy Spirit who is enabling you and who is directing you right now will be faithful and will lead you then in that day. And again, I just got to say, this isn't an excuse for some... I mean, people do crazy stuff with God's Word, right? Like, I've heard people go to this verse and be like, I don't prepare for my sermons, because it says right there, you know, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say, so I just trust, like, have enough faith. And it's like, that's lazy, right? That's No, that's not... So this is not an excuse to be lazy. This isn't an excuse for me to just kind of come up here and wing it. But it is an understanding that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to lead us. That He is the hope to keep our eyes pinned on Jesus. And then He continues on and says, and says, Look to me. Trust in me. And then, verse 14. We're going to hunker down here for a little bit. Those of you that have the highlighters and the charts, this is what you've been waiting for. In verse 14, He begins and talks about the abomination of desolation. Just pick up with me in verse 13. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing there, it ought not to be where it ought not to be. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And it goes on. So what's being said here, all right? I think there's a little bit of a now and not yet. The primary message Jesus is saying with the abomination of desolation is what will happen to these people in A.D. 70. And what you and I, looking back, has already happened. Jesus is saying, something is coming, and he's kind of talking about a, these things in a present future, and then there's also some language about the future, the end times as well. And he's saying, listen, you who are with me right now, in AD 70, Rome is going to come, and we know this happened, and all their pagan religion and pagan gods, they're going to come in, and they're going to bring... Um, destruction like the world has never known. And for these people, that is true. Right? The Roman, um, the Roman conquering of Israel, and there was, I can't get into all the history, but even Rome itself was just in turmoil. Like, kings, like there were in one year, four emperors took over one another from Nero to Vespian, and they were ruling and fighting with each other and going over and all kinds of crazy stuff was happening. And then that resulted in one of the emperors came crashing in and his son um, came in. And, and so he took over Rome, Emperor Vespian, and his son came in and conquered Jerusalem and brought that great temple to just to rubble. And it's so easy for us to look back and miss the absolute enormity of what's going on in their world. Like, imagine in our world, okay, this is the kind of thing. This is like, you know, China, Russia, the U.S., and, you know, England, or whoever else, you know, is like in a massive world war, like the greatest powers, and it's like the world is coming to an end. And he's like, when this happens, run to the hills 
And there's a um, message here. If you're, if you're, because usually when this kind of thing that happens, women and children are the ones who feel the weight of it the most. He's saying, get out. When that happens, when that finally happens, run. Flee to the hills. But there's also a language here that is used that is, um, and it does have the now and not yet, the these things and those days. Because there's also a language that, that, that is good news for you and me. Okay, so we don't just look back, oh, that happened in 80, 70. I want to get home and see what happens. You know, there's some good football games going on. There wasn't a good football game on last night, by the way. But um, there's some good stuff going on. I want to get home. Who cares? No, there's a continual message in a language here that for all people, for all of God's people to be prepared and to understand that when it all goes down, when it all seems like it's all crashing in, look to Jesus. Trust in him for he's in control. For the good news he gives in verse 20 here. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then he goes on and gives more warnings. But what he's reminding us here is that Jesus will see through to the end those who have been trusted to him. Okay, there's, there's language in John chapter 10 that speaks of Jesus, the good shepherd. All who have been entrusted to him, no matter what kind of persecution, no matter what kind of hardship, whether internal, whether, whether individual, or on a global scale, he will see through to the end those who have been entrusted to him. He will shorten the days. He will see you through. And that's good news. The whole message here is to continue looking to Jesus. To understand that he's in control. But let me be honest with you. How do the Syrian refugees feel about that kind of message? Would that not be good news if you said, look, I understand this is the end of the world for you right now. And in no way watering that down, but then coming through and saying, in the end, no matter what it feels like, Jesus is the victor. Jesus will win. That is good news. Good news is not limited and can never be limited to short-term, short-term um, present circumstances. The prosperity gospel in all its different forms, it says just have more faith, just believe, just have hope and this will all go away. No, that's not good news. The good news though is that Jesus presents himself as the victor and promises victory that in their day there's no way they could understand. It's similar to um, something as this came out, I was thinking of what, what, how can I understand this more clearly? And as I always do, I went to a sporting event. Um, a, uh, some of you who are older, um, I, you might remember what is referred to as the greatest sporting event of the 20th century or the fight of the century. In 1974, Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman. I wasn't born in 1974 yet, almost. Um, but I've watched the documentary. There's an incredible documentary on it when we were kings and it walks all through this. But let me just paint the picture really quickly here because I think it will help us to understand the victory of Jesus. It's this. Muhammad Ali, the best fighter ever, was just winning, could not lose. And then because of the war in Vietnam and he wouldn't become drafted, he had his title and his boxing license stripped away. And so he was seemingly irre irrelevant for years. And then during that time, 
Um, a, a, a champion rose up, Joe Frazier. Great champion, great victor. And then Muhammad Ali came back. He got his license back. He fought Joe Frazier and lost. So now Joe Frazier is like, oh man, I guess Muhammad Ali is not the best ever. He lost. It came down to the very end, unanimous decision. And then during that time, this really young, kind of green, but just massive, strong, knockout power guy, George Foreman, raises up through the ranks. And no one takes him seriously. Everyone's like, sure, this guy, whatever. He'll, once he fights a true, you know, a true f fighter, it'll show he's green, you know, he's new, he's not tough, he's not all it's cracked up to be. Well, then he goes on and fights Joe Frazier, and he annihilates Joe Frazier. He knocks him down six times in two rounds, and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, he's undefeated. George Foreman's undefeated. Perhaps the greatest fighter ever. So that sets up the fight of the century between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And George Foreman has knocked down or knocked out everybody he's fought. He's undefeated. He's massive. Like he's got guns. He's yoked. And Muhammad, and it's just like, what's going to happen here? So he and Muhammad Ali fight. Okay. They fight in Africa and higher Africa. I, I'm getting into this too much, but what happens is everyone's expecting when George Foreman finally connects with Muhammad Ali, it's going to be over. Muhammad Ali is going to be knocked out. But Muhammad Ali had a plan. And in the beginning of the fight, it looks like he is just taking it. He's getting worked. And for the first five rounds, he's egging on George Foreman, but nobody else knew that at the time. He's talking trash to him. Whenever they would tie up, he's like, George, is that all you got? Is that, is that the only kind of punch you can throw? And he's just egging him on. And in so doing, George Foreman is coming after him harder and harder. And he leans back into the ropes and is taking it. And it looks like George Foreman is just pummeling Ali. But Ali's blocking his face. Oh, there it is again. He's blocking his face. He's blocking his body. So George Foreman's punches are seemingly futile. But nobody knows that. And, George, and Muhammad Ali, after the fact, called it, what do you call it? Some of you guys know this. Rope-a-dope. All the while, he's roping him in. He's leaning back on the ropes. And George Foreman's just getting worn out. Like, a, like the, the dope that he apparently was. And he's just getting worn out. And finally, Ali's like, all right, I've got this where I want. And he's going on. And he said after the fact that he had it all planned out, even to the round, that he knew when George Foreman would be so tired that his punches wouldn't be able to be effective and that he had been getting in jabs all along. And then finally, he does. He throws the knockout punch. George Foreman gets knocked down. And some of you are like, I thought George Foreman was just a chef. I didn't even know he was a boxer. <laughs> no, the Foreman grill was he's a, he's a boxer, all right? But Ali, in his arrogant confidence, said all along, I had it all figured out. And even though at the moment, George Foreman himself and George Foreman fans, they thought he was just, he was going to win. But Jesus says, or, but Ali says in that moment, definitely not Jesus. Ali says, I had it all planned. I had it all figured out. And of course, we don't know that, and eventually he went, and, and we never saw, you know, we could never figure out, and he eventually, you know, lost, lost the title and all that. But the, but the picture of Jesus, the message of Jesus here is, I have it all figured out all along. And the message in the charge is, you don't have to figure it out. There's a charge time and time again. And it does go back and say these things. And Jesus, again, brings them back to understanding, this temple will be destroyed. And when these things happen, keep looking to me. 
And in those days, when the end comes, keep looking to me. Don't try to figure it out. Look to me. And Jesus does say, and we can look to him and say, he has already thrown the knockout punch. The people in this day couldn't understand it. They're confused. But guys, you and me get to see the knockout punch has already been thrown. Because when Jesus put himself on the cross, and he hung there and said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And then when Jesus victoriously rose from the dead, proving his knockout punch and ushering in the kingdom, he says, trust me, the knockout punch has already been thrown. Guys, the call to have hope, the call to have faith is not futile. We do have evidence. We do have somewhere to look. We have a cross where we see the enemy has already been dealt the knockout punch. And though right now you and I are in that now and not yet, we're living in the day where victory has already been secured and promised. And yet the enemy is still stumbling around throwing futile punches. And the message of Jesus is this. However bad the punch stings, he doesn't diminish it. Whatever kind of end of the world you're experiencing and whatever kind of end of the world will come, what you need to worry about is the victory of Jesus and the confidence you can have in him and the victory that he has already secured and the coming kingdom that he has already promised. And so the people hearing this couldn't understand that. Because they hadn't seen the cross yet. In fact, they're going to get more and more and more confused until Jesus would raise from the dead. But then it goes on and it talks about those days and the last days. And the message stays the same. Jesus says, don't figure it out. Even the Son of Man doesn't know in verse 32. Concerning that day or that hour, nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. But be on guard and keep awake. Guys, that's a charge to all of us in this room. If you're the chart person, if you are sitting here in fear, if you are freaking out, if every Supreme Court decision, if every war, if every rumor of war, if every little thing just causes you to, just to fear and to sit back and to wonder, I think the message is this. Keep looking to Jesus. All right, don't be driven by fear. I've, I've never known a, a mature Christian whose faith is firmly grounded on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who is, who is just consumed by fear. But, 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 but those of us that get so enamored and so figured out with everything else, it's, it's, we're looking elsewhere. And the call is look to Jesus. It says, don't worry about that hour. Even Jesus says he doesn't know when it will come. But on the flip side, those of us who are here who just forget that that hour is even coming, the message is the same. Wake up. Stay awake. Verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That's the, again the message. Jesus is speaking to his followers right there. 
Those who, who did not yet know the, the tragedy of 70 AD when the temple would be destroyed and when Rome would come in and they would have to flee to the hills. Or the audience, the people that would be reading this and that would be under Roman persecution where, where Nero and all his craziness is, per, is, is decorating his garden with burning followers of Jesus would look to this and would hear there's good news. The knockout punch has already been thrown. Stay awake. Stay alert. Trust in me. And that's the message for you and me today as we come around full circle. Remember that Mark, from beginning to end, is a sermon that you and I are called to respond to. Where Jesus himself is the good news, the Son of God, the King, who has come to take away the sins of the world, to restore what has been broken. And Jesus' message is what? Repent and believe. In the gospel of Jesus. Turn away from your consumption and your obsession with this world and believe in Jesus. Turn away from the sin that defines you and turn to Jesus and the forgiveness and the freedom that you have in Him. Turn away from the fear that consumes you and be defined by the good news of Jesus, the champion. Amen? Amen. And so the message as you and I close and respond as it always is, is how do you respond to Jesus? Wake up. Have hope. Repent and believe. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be prepared in times of persecution. But be prepared by trusting in Jesus and being defined by who He is and what He's done and what He's promised to do. Let's pray. Lord, as we respond to you now, um, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us your word, Lord, to shape us and to define us. I, I trust that for many, perhaps, they're even more confused coming out of this time. But Lord, I pray that you will lead us to the simple truth. Lord, that the end of our life in whatever capacity, whatever form that looks like, Lord, the, our our personal, individual struggles, the end times, if you will, that we will face and that we have faced, that we are facing, the end of our life physically, the end of the world, the end times when you will come and judge the living and the dead, when you will put an end to the kingdom of this world that opposes you, and you will once and for all finally usher in your perfect kingdom where you will make new everything that has been broken. Lord, we, we, I pray that we will both or take a deep breath and be relaxed in knowing that you are the victor. Lord, I pray that we will keep our eyes on you. And I also pray, Lord, that for those of us who have grown inoculated and numb to the world around us, that we will wake up, that we will know that, that the day is coming when you will come like a thief in the night and we don't know what that will look like. So, Lord, I do pray that we will continue to live all of life, all for Jesus because of the good news that you are the author and the hero, that you are the victor who has already secured and promised victory. Lord, we pray and respond in Jesus' name. Amen.